as Orthodox Christians, we do not celebrate our birthdays, at least in the Orthodox lands. In traditional Orthodox lands, we celebrate our name days, which usually correspond to the day of the repose or the martyrdom of our particular patron saint. So, if we have the name Markella, our feast day, our name day is on the repose of Saint Markella. The same thing with Saint Constantine and Saint John. And uh, we celebrate we celebrate the day they join paradise. We don't celebrate their death. Death is our enemy. We celebrate the conquering of death. They conquer death. We celebrate the destruction of death and Hades by Christ and his victorious followers. But our church, however, makes some exceptions on this. There's an exception to this rule. And it does celebrate the birthdays of some very special people. Of course, all people are special. But these people were very, very, very important for our salvation. The most holy Theotokos is one of the people that we celebrate her birthday, and her birthday is today. Today, our church celebrates the birthday of the most holy Theotokos. We also celebrate the birth of her son, Jesus, Christmas. And we also celebrate the birth of St. John the Baptist. As we mentioned during the last couple of weeks, the most holy Theotokos was the child of saints Joachim and Anna. Joachim and Anna were righteous people. That means they had all the virtues, but they could not bear any children. And this was very painful because they did not allow them to present gifts to the temple of God. It was a, a curse not to be able to have children in the Old Testament because having children was a sign of blessedness. But not only that, a woman who did not have children, she did not have the opportunity for her son to become the Messiah. So it was very, very important to have many children in the Old Testament. And of course, we should have many children in the New Testament as well. Because St. Paul says that Women are saved through uh, not jogging, not preserving their figure, not all these things that we see. Women are saved through childbearing, St. Paul says. So our church today celebrates the birthday of this very holy child, the most holy Theotokos. As we mentioned, at the age of three, she was dedicated to the temple because this, this was the promise of Anna. God, Lord, please give me a child and this child will be dedicated to you. At the age of three, she was received in the Holy of Holies according to our tradition and she stayed there for 12 years, at least 12 years. Some of our, some of our uh, church writers do not specify the years. Most of them, like St. Nicodemus, 
St. John of Damascus, uh, and also St. Gregory Palamas, they specify 12. Some, they say 9, because after 12, a person, at least a female, was not allowed in the temple. This is stated by Vasilios, or I'm sorry, Haralambos Vasilopoulos in his book of the Panagia that after 12 years of age she was no longer permitted to stay in the temple now we see these differences and you know in the orthodox church we have freedom of thought in non-dogmatic issues when there's a dogma which is very important to our salvation then you know what is Doctrine cannot be changed by an iota. The fact is that the Most Holy Theotokos stayed in the temple to be prepared to stay sinless. She did not even have a sin of mind, according to the Church Fathers. She was a vessel that would receive the uncontainable God, as we explained last week when we actually analyzed Psalm 44, which is a messianic psalm, and the last nine verses refer to the person of the Theotokos, where we saw in, the, in those verses uh, that at the right, at the right hand stands, at your right hand stands the queen, and she is also the daughter of David, and we mentioned that Many of the rich of the land will supplicate to you, will seek your favor. All these things we saw last week, and we do have that lesson recorded. Today we'll continue to speak about the prefigurements, the typologies of the most holy Theotokos in the Old Testament. And because today we're celebrating the day of her birth Genesis I looked through the hymnology of the church and what is central in all the hymns of the church what is central in the, in the readings are these prefigurements that we will talk about there's literally dozens and dozens of different prefigurements about the holy person of the Theotokos. And in the canons of the church, we have all the wealth of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is deposited in the treasury of our church. Unfortunately, today as Orthodox, we do not know of this wealth. Not only we don't know of this wealth, we don't want this wealth. Father Joseph, the Heisekest, one day he went outside of his cave. Father Joseph was one of the greatest saints of our times. He's responsible for all these dozens of 18, 19 monasteries here in the United States. He went in the Holy Mountain in the 50s. And through the Jesus prayer, he became Christ-bearing. He became a receiver of the uncreated light, and many times he would see angels. He would see the Panagia to strengthen him. And one night, he walked outside, and he was speaking to himself, and he was saying, Oh, my children, 
There's so much wealth in heaven, but nobody wants it. Nobody wants it because we want the wealth of this world. So in the canons of the church, our holy fathers read and see all these prefigurements, the typologies. In the fifth ode of the canon of the Annunciation that we read in the Matin service, and St. Nicodemus interprets this for us, he states, Extraneous, O Holy One, extraneous is your miracle, O Spotless One. Only you were worthy to receive the King of all and have him incarnate in your womb. Therefore, you are prefigured by the words of the prophets and their enigmas and their symbolisms of the law. For example, he says, the holy things in the tabernacle, such as the Ark of the Covenant, covered with pure gold, signifying the shining brightness of your virginity. You were being prefigured by the golden jar of manna, Aaron's staff that bought it, the tablets of the covenant, the atonement cover, the golden censer, and so on. You were prefigured by the words of the, and the hints and the allusions of the prophets, the gate of Ezekiel, which remains shut, the mountain of Daniel, and we will explain this you know, as we go on. The vineyard of Hosea. The diamond well of Amos. In the center and the end and the purpose of the entire law and all the allusions of the prophets, we find you, the Theotokos, and before you, the Son of God who incarnated. And St. John of Damascus, who also has written many homilies about the Most Holy Theotokos, he states the same things in his homilies when he says that, You, Most Holy Theotokos, are the throne encircled by the angels in the vision of Isaiah, Isaiah 6.1. You became the holier and more divine Eden. In other words, you became the mystical paradise that we chant in the Catavasias, Mysticos of Theotokia Paradisos, you are the mystical paradise of Theotokos, because, St. John of Damascus says, in the ancient paradise resided Adam made of clay, but in you, in your paradise, resided the Lord from heaven. The Ark of Noah also prefigured you preserving the seed for a second world because you gave birth to Christ, the salvation of the world, who drowned the sea of sin and deflated its waves. And we need to pause here. Christ came into the world to destroy the devil, to destroy darkness, to destroy sin. And for the last 1,500 years, we saw Christianity go all over the world. The apostles, the 12 fishermen, they took the true gospel of Christ all over 
the known world. However, in the book of the Revelation, we hear St. John speak, and we read that there will come days where sin will inflate again. St. Paul tells us in 1st or 2nd Timothy, there will be perilous times in the last days. People will be covetous, lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, disobedient to parents, and so on and so forth. And the sin of the last times will be, the waves of sin will inflate again in order to bring the Antichrist. And we see this in our days. Unfortunately, our media does not let us know of these things. Media silences, the media silences all these evil things that happen in our days. And I read, just days before Southern decadence, an annual homosexual celebration attracting tens of thousands of people to the French Quarter section of New Orleans, Hurricane Katrina destroyed the city. We spoke last week briefly about the wrath of God. We spoke that God does not become angry. He does not have wrath as, as people. He does not have passions. What simply happens is when we persist in our sins, when we are disobedient to God, then God, who respects our freedom, He leaves us alone. He somehow looks the other way. He takes His protection away from us. And this, I believe, you don't have to be a prophet to see that this is the possibility here. Southern decadence has, and I didn't know much of this because we don't hear about this, Southern decadence has a history of filling the French quarters, section of the city, with drunken homosexuals engaging in sex acts in the public streets and bars. Last year, a local pastor sent video footage of these acts being performed, listen to this, in front of the police. Now, the reason why I believe this is because five, six years ago, I saw the same thing happening in New York. I happened to be watching, uh, I think, Pat Robertson. I don't watch Pat Robertson, but I, I was flipping the channels, and I saw some very, very uh, licentious acts. And I said, what is this? And he was showing uh, clips from the Gay Pride Parade of New York. It was horrible. The media would never show this. They silence all this. The leftist media silences all this. And that's why I believe this is true. So city officials simply ignore the footage and continue to welcome and praise the week-long celebration as being an exciting event. However, Hurricane Katrina has put an end to the annual celebration of sin. This is not a secret 
on the official Southern Decadence website, they have a website. It states that the annual event brought in 125,000 revelers to New Orleans last year, increasing by thousands each year and up from over 50,000 revelers in 1997. The past three mayors of New Orleans, including Sidney Bartholomew, Mark Morial, and Ray Nagin, issued official, listen to this, issued official proclamation welcoming visitors to Southern Decadence. Additionally, New York, New Orleans City Council made other proclamations recognizing the annual, the annual homosexual celebration. Every 25th of March, we go right here in our city halls in Bethlehem and also in Allentown, and every year we receive official proclamation from our mayors about the annual celebration of Greek Independence Day. So here, gay pride parades in New York and Washington and New Orleans receive the same proclamation. You see how much these proclamations are worth? To receive a proclamation for the independence of, of a Christian nation and to receive a proclamation for sin. New Orleans you know, is also known for its Mardi Gras parties. Who doesn't know this? But I didn't know this because I don't watch TV. Unfortunately, I have email and now I get a lot of this information from Orthodox. <clears throat> so, um, I, I'm ashamed to mention these things, but I try to be as modest as I can. New Orleans, we have children here. New Orleans is also known for its Mardi Gras parties where thousands of drunken men uh, revel in the streets to exchange plastic jewelry for drunken women to expose uh, their fronts. Uh, New Orleans has been the initiator uh, of this uh, spark that created the uh, Girls Gone Wild is a video series of lewd and X-rated material. So the question is, we have been saying for years and years that one of the signs of the last days will be the sign of homosexuality. We saw this. We have the historical prerequisite of Sodom and Gomorrah. There was a million people in those five cities, and God pulled its grace and that city was totally burned. The fact is that we need to repent and we need to practice the commandments of God because without God we are left unprotected. And we mentioned last week that the most holy Theotokos is the protection, the protection of the whole world. However, when our sins, our sins fill the cup of God of God's wrath, so to speak, then God takes his protection away. 
And we continue with the prefigurements of the Most Holy Theotokos. In our salutation service and the other services, she's called the wool of Gideon, the gate of Ezekiel, the virgin of Isaiah. All these prophecies talk about the most holy Theotokos, the most important person of the universe after Jesus Christ. And the Holy Trinity, of course, as St. Gregory Palamas says, she represents, she is in second place after the Holy Trinity. She has Tadefteria Tisayas Triados. So the Theotokos is prefigured by paradise because paradise sprouted plants and trees without seed. And the Theotokos gave birth to Christ without seed, without amen. The Theotokos is prophesied in the Proto-Evangelion as the woman having seed in Genesis 3.15. And she's prefigured by the ladder of Jacob. In the Vespers of the feast day, two days ago, <clears throat> the readings are centered, you know, after the Fossilaron, after the gladsome light, in some major feast days, we have scriptural readings from the Old Testament. And these readings are pertaining to the person that we are celebrating. When we celebrate St. John the Baptist, we will speak about prophecies pertaining to St. John the Baptist. Usually when we have Theomitirikesiotes, feast days of the birth giver of God, the Most Holy Theotokos, we have these three readings. And one of the readings is the ladder of Jacob. Jacob slept one night and then he saw a vision and he saw a ladder and angels were ascending and descending from this ladder behold and this is in Genesis 29-12 if you want to look it up behold a ladder fixed on earth whose head the top of the ladder reached to heaven and angels of God ascended and descended and the Lord was leaning upon the ladder all the church fathers agree that this ladder climax in Greek that connected earth with heaven is the most holy Theotokos before the coming of the Messiah we were enemies of God God was not our enemy God was never our enemy we became God's enemy we went away from God so somehow this connection was broken and now there's a ladder and this ladder this climax is going to unite 
heaven with earth again. And listen to this verse. And the Lord was leaning upon this ladder. Now, the Lord is everywhere. God is everywhere. Does the Lord need to lean somewhere? Does the Lord really need a throne? You know, we read in Isaiah that the Lord was sitting on a throne. Does God become tired? These are all allegorical, uh, anthropomorphic expressions to make us understand. The throne in Isaiah was the Theotokos. Her womb became the throne of God because he found rest only in her. St. Nicodemus talks about this and he marvels when he states that even if all angels would fall, if all nine angelic orders would fall, the tenth one fell, even if all the others fell, if everything, every human being was bad and evil, only the Theotokos would be enough to please God and have him create the entire universe just for her. And again, this is not emotional poetry. This is not poetic expression. They are speaking from deep experience and deep knowledge of the scriptures. And this is why they see that this ladder that connects the earth to heaven, they see God leaning upon this ladder. What does this mean? It's very simple. God will become a baby. Did you hear this, Phoebe? God became a baby. He became Jesus. And this baby needed to lean where? On the bosom of the Theotokos. So God leaned on the ladder called Theotokos. The baby Jesus was leaning on his mother. But this baby was our God. He's our God. The God-man. And Jacob awakened out of his sleep and he said, The Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. How dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. The gate of heaven is one of the most beloved names of the Theotokos in all our hymnology. And this has been prophesied hundreds of years before. And this talks about her ever virginity. And this was the second reading in the feast day uh, in the Vespers. And we will... Uh, now that you know this, you are going to be listening for this reading in all the feast days of the Theotokos, you know, even at the entrance to the temple, the 21st of November, and also the Annunciation, the 25th of March. And let me read this great prophecy. Ezekiel 44, which speaks about the ever-virginity of the Theotokos. Then he brought me back by the way of the outer gate of the sanctuary that looks eastward. It looks towards paradise. Paradise is in the east. 
the gate that was looking towards paradise. And it was shut. This gate was closed. And the Lord said to me, This gate shall be shut. It shall not be opened, and no one shall pass through it. For the Lord God of Israel shall enter by it, and it shall be shut. Christ passed through the womb of the Theotokos without interrupting or touching her virginity. The gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no one shall pass through it. In other words, the Theotokos did not have any children at all. She did not have any relations. We will explain about the brothers of the Lord in an upcoming class, very specifically. And no one shall pass through it, for the Lord God of Israel shall enter by it. He will become a baby. He'll pass through the womb of the Theotokos without touching her virginity, just like he passed through the tomb without breaking the seals. The seals were not broken. Let's see. And it shall remain shut forever. In another of the readings, the third reading of the Vespers of all the feast days of the Theotokos, it talks about the wisdom. When you hear, when you see the word wisdom in the Old Testament, many times it talks about the anhypostatic wisdom, which is a person. Uh, in Constantinople, the most famous church of all Christendom is called Hagia Sophia. It is not named after the martyr Sophia, who had three daughters. It is named after God's wisdom the second person of the Holy Trinity. And this wisdom is being talked about in Proverbs. <clears throat> the fall broke the unity of the church. See, the church existed before, you know, before Pentecost. The church of the Holy Trinity with the angels the plan of God was to expand his church on earth God says my joy is to be among people God wished to be housed inside us inside. but because of the fall God became homeless God became Astegos, as we say in Greek. And the Virgin of Nazareth prepares a home for him. And we read in Proverbs 9.1, The wisdom has built a house for herself. The wisdom, the second person of the Holy Trinity,
Trinity, God the Word, has prepared and chosen a house for himself. And this house is the womb of the Theotokos, the palace for the king. That's why she's called Palation Tumonum Vasileos. She is the palace of the only king. She's also called the throne of Isaiah for the same reason. She's called wider than the heavens because his throne is wider than the universe. If God is wider than the universe, he's uncontainable, then his throne is wider than the universe. But his throne is the Theotokos. So our Platitera is the throne of God. And that's why we see her in the temple. We have the Pantocrator. She's also called the neck. In the, uh, in the Song of Songs, she's called the neck. Thy neck is like the Tower of David. Song 7, 4. Thy neck is like the Tower of David. She is the neck. The head is the Christ. She is the neck. That's why she is right below Christ. On the highest part of the altar, she connects heaven and earth. And she is the Platitera. She is wider than the heavens because as the throne of the uncontainable God, the throne of God is wider than the heavens. She's also prefigured in the books of Judges. She's prefigured in the life of Judge Gideon. If you remember Gideon, he was a great warrior and he was fighting, I'm not sure if it was the Amalekites or the uh, Philistines, he was fighting the enemies of Israel. And the enemies of Israel were very numerous. They were great in number. And Gideon and God prepared Gideon and says, go choose so many people. And then he gave him a plan. He gave him a strategic plan. And this would have been a miraculous battle because we're talking about two, three hundred people against thousands. And Gideon says, Lord, how do I know that you're going to be with me? I need you to do something for me so I can be strengthened. Uh, for me to really believe that you're going to be with me, you're going to fight with me, I want you to do this. Listen to this. This, this uh, fighter, this uh, judge of, uh, of Israel, is actually asking God to show him a miracle. And he says, what I will do is, I'm going to take wool, and I'm going to put it outside, in the grass. And what I want you to do is, I want you to rain 
and have the water only go on this wall, but nowhere else. So, I want this wool to be totally dry the next day. Then I will believe that you're going to be with us in this battle. So he prayed, and the next morning, the the wool was totally dried, was totally dried, and all the grass all around the area was soaked. If this was not enough, now Gideon says, Lord, I want you, now, I want you to do the opposite now. <laughs> I, I want to have a guarantee. I really want to make sure. Now I want you to do the opposite miracle. I want to put this wool outside and I want the wool to be totally soaked but all the grass around, I want it to be totally dried. And lo and behold, soft rain came down and soaked only the wool, the fleece, the Bible says. And the next day, Gideon was able to fill buckets by straining this wool. Not a drop of rain, not a drop of water anywhere. And the church fathers tell us that the soft rain that came down, the morning dew that came down was Christ who came on the fleece who was the Theotokos. She was also called a prophetess by Isaiah because she would have a prophetic spirit of course, having all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, she would also have the gift of prophecy. And that became very obvious when she visited Elizabeth, when she gave all these prophecies about all the generations calling her blessed. Behold, the Lord sits on a light, cl on a light cloud and shall come to Egypt. Again, watch the accuracy and the specificity of this prophecy. How would the Lord come into Egypt? Some, uh, one of the rabbis would read this in the Old Testament. How were they to understand this? Probably allegorically only. Somehow. But God is everywhere. How would he come into Egypt? And here we have the actual historical, the historical fact of this prophecy. So behold, the Lord sits on a light cloud and shall come to Egypt. The light cloud is the most holy Theotokos because she was very, very light with virtue. She was very spiritual. She was heavenly, very, very light. And the Lord sits. It's very literal. He was sitting on her while she was riding on a donkey or on the horse, most likely a donkey, to go all the way to Egypt. So this is the literal interpretation of this prophecy. And one of the central typologies of the Panagia in our hymnology, it has to do with the book of Daniel. She's called the Oros of Daniel or the Mountain of Daniel, the Unhewn Mountain. And I'll quick, quickly explain the story. 
Prophet Daniel was in Babylon in one of the captivities of the Israelites. And at some point, King Nebuchadnezzar saw a very terrible dream. He saw uh, a nightmare, actually. And uh, he was very scared, and he wanted this to be explained. And he called the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were the, let's say, the sorcerers, the astrologers of that time, the wise people. There's a big difference between astronomers. The Magi were astronomers. They were not astrologers. They knew they were studying the stars. But he had his wise counselors. And he called them in and he said, I want you to interpret this dream that I saw. And they told him, Your Highness, please let us know of your dream and we will explain it for you. And he goes, Oh no, I will not let you know this dream because you're going to tell me whatever you feel like. You're going to make things up. For me to know for sure that your interpretation will be correct, I also want you to tell me the dream that I had. And if you don't tell me this dream very quickly, I will begin to kill all of you. And the wise men, you know, they came at an impasse. They said, Your Highness, what you're asking could not be done by a man with flesh. What you're asking is only the work of God's. So he sent them away, and already he gave a decree to start killing the wise men of Babylon. And they also came to apprehend Daniel and the three young men, his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, the three young men who ended up in the furnace for another reason. But they came to apprehend Daniel, and Daniel says to the captain of the king's guard, Ariak, you know, why are you summoning us? He says that the king saw a dream, and unless it's unless it's interpreted, then all of you must die. And Daniel told this captain to go back to the king and tell him that I will interpret the dream for him. Not I, but my God will give me the strength, will give me the wisdom to interpret this dream. I just need a little bit of time. He needed some time to go pray. So he called the three young men who were also very holy and they prayed all night and then after that Daniel appeared to Nebuchadnezzar and he told him that great king I can interpret your dream by the grace of my God. He began, he began to tell him that a few nights ago, Your Highness, you were up at night thinking, what would happen to your great empire after you died? And while you were thinking these things, you fell asleep. And then in your sleep, you saw a very great and fearful and tall image 
and the head of this image was made of gold, and the chest of this image was made of silver, and the belly and the thighs were made of bronze, and the legs and the feet were made of iron and clay. And while you are seeing this great image, a stone was cut off from a mountain all by itself. A stone separated itself from this great mountain and it came with a great force and it struck this great image at its feet and it demolished this great statue. It made a dust. It pulverized this whole image. And it made, it, was, it became just like dust and the air and the wind took it away. This dream, my king, represents your kingdom. You are the greatest of kings. You are the kingdom of gold. But after you pass away, after you depart, there'll be another kingdom less powerful than yours. It'll be the kingdom of the Medo-Persians. It'll be bronze. I'm sorry, it'll be silver. It'll be silver. Powerful, but not like yours. And after the Medo-Persians, another empire will come made out of bronze. Alexander the Great, the Greek Empire. And after this empire, another empire will come, which will be made with iron, but it will also be mixed with clay. It will have some weaknesses. What were the weaknesses of the Roman Empire? It was not a homogeneous empire. It tried to unite very, very non-homogeneous people, different nationalities, and some, sometimes it does not work. So eventually, and <clears throat> at the end of this last kingdom, God will bring upon the earth his own kingdom, which will destroy all the other kingdoms. This stone that hit the feet of this great image, after it destroyed all these empires, it states in the book of Daniel that this stone enlarged, enlarged, it took over the whole earth. It is actually the gospel of Jesus Christ expanding. It is the kingdom of God on earth, the church, that's being prophesied in this book of Daniel. And the church fathers, in their wisdom, they interpret that the mountain in this book of Daniel is the most holy Theotokos. And the rock 
or the stone that separated from this mountain was Christ and this mountain is called the unhewn mountain meaning that this stone separated all by itself without a human hand just like Christ was born through the most holy Theotokos without the seed of men so we see this repeatedly on all the feast days of the Theotokos and also the salutations about the mountain here oros alatomiton oros alatomiton unhewn mountain the typologies go on and on she's called the burning bush that was burning without being consumed she's called uh, the wall of Amos and again there's dozens if not hundreds of these typologies all through the Old Testament and this is to prefigure the great importance the great role of the most holy Theotokos in the life of the church and also in the life of the Christians and in our salvation if we want the protection of the Panagia we need to once again obey the commandments of God and we need to also know and learn that her prayers are not the same in strength they're not the same in power as the rest of the saints the intercessions of the saints are great but the intercessions and the mediations of the most holy Theotokos are much more powerful because she has a very very special place at the right hand of Christ she's standing at the right hand of her son she's standing at the right of the king as we said last week she stands because she's a creation while the Lord sits because he is of one essence with the father next
understand that we came to know God only because he took on flesh. God revealed himself only through his incarnation, only in the flesh. We read in St. Timothy, without any doubt, grace is the mystery of godliness. And godliness in the NCV means Christianity. God revealed himself in the flesh. God was manifested or appeared in the flesh. Seen of angels and of course by people. So God was never seen by angels. Never. The angels never knew that God was triune. Actually, for those who have been doing some chanting, and thank God I have been doing some Byzantine chanting myself with the eight tones, they know that in the hymns of the Theotokos, there are special hymns. After we chant the Apolitikion, the, uh, how do we say Apolitikion in modern English? The dismissal hymn. A politikion in Greek is uh, the dismissal hymn of the tone. After that, we hymn, we chant the hymn from, uh, for the Theotokos, called Theotokion. And in the hymn of the first tone, in the Theotokion, we chant, when Gabriel was announcing rejoice to the Theotokos, all of a sudden, the master of the universe was forming in her womb. And by the way, this is very beautiful. If you ever go to Jerusalem, I had the blessing to be there last October, you go to Nazareth where the actual Annunciation took place, you'll see a very beautiful icon where in the womb of the Theotokos, you know, there's a little infant of Christ. And the tradition says that because Christ was born without seed, he was formed instantly as an infant. He, went, he did not go through the developmental stages of developmental biology. Instantly, he was formed in her womb. And then in the nine months, he simply increased. But he took his entire form because there was no need for a zygote. There was no seed of a man. He simply took the flesh of the Theotokos and formed his nature instantly. And Gabriel, the angelic host, saw the master of the universe, they saw God for the first time. So God was never seen by angels or people. But we see that in the Old Testament we have some manifestations of God. 
how is this stated at the life of Moses? And I think you, if you follow the reading during the Vespers of Holy Transfiguration, and I will <coughs> say it in modern terms. Moses was speaking to God face to face. He was very devoted to God. And Moses, before his death, he wanted to see God and he said, Lord, you know, uh, if you really love me and you say that I am, you know, one of your favorites, show me your face. I want to see you. And God says, no one can see my face and live. It's not possible. But go in this cave, go in this mountain, and while I am passing, I will cover the opening of the cave with my hand, so you will not see my face. And after I pass, then I will remove my hand and you'll see my back. What was this back of God? What does this mean? Does God have a back or a front or, you know, this is all symbolic. And what he saw, he saw the back of God, which is the incarnation. He saw the same Christ that was transfigured on Mount Tabor. Every time we have a theophany in the Old Testament, they are seeing the transfigured Christ, the same Christ. During transfiguration, his disciples and Moses and Elijah saw the resurrected Lord. They saw the Lord in his glory, exactly how the saints will be seeing him in the kingdom of God. And this is very possible for God because he's not bound to time. So in the Old Testament, what they saw, they saw even Abraham when uh, one of the Trinity was eating, you know, when Sarah took the meal and he ate. It was the same person that ate milk and honey, I'm sorry, the same person that ate fish and honeycomb in the land of Tiberias after the resurrection. The same person, the incarnated Logos. Because time does not bound God. So all the theophanies, the manifestations of God in the Old Testament, of Adam and Eve in the garden, in paradise, of Cain, when God was speaking to Cain. Abraham, under the oak tree, along with the two angels, where he ate with Sarah, as all that he said. The one who fought all night with Jacob, and Moses at Sinai. The oracle of Isaiah, when 
who saw the throne of God lifted high with the seraphim. In all these appearances, the one appearing was the incarnated Logos, the second person of the Holy Trinity. The same one who went in the fire with the three youths in Babylon. And we spoke before, in some of the talks you may have heard, about the uncreated energy of the Holy Cross in the Old Testament. The existence of Christ in the Old Testament. And I will bring to your memory about Moses. And by faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Esteeming the reproach of Christ 